1: Welcome to another episode of the Family Gamers Podcast. This is episode 365.
0: It's like it's one of those numbers that is uh it's a momentous and exciting number. It's everybody its own kind knows of mindset. My fact is gonna be all those things. <laughs> Hello, everybody. We are the Family Gamers As always. I'm your host, Andrew, and I am joined by my lovely and wonderful and 365 days of the year wife, Anitra.
1: That's me, although this year it's three hundred and sixty-six days.
0: That's true, it is three hundred and well, that can be a fact for the next show, but not for this show. <laughs> <laughs> because it's uh 365 anyway we are here it is an odd numbered show and we have on the show this week none other than the man the legend <laughs> staff writer jeremy pike how you doing jeremy doing well guys how you guys doing doing pretty good having a good time right
1: <laughs> uh, yes <laughs> yes having a good time reminiscing about uh our common upbringing with Zweigel's White and Abbott's
0: yeah well I mean if you guys want to talk about that later you can do that I'll just sit here and twiddle my thumbs
1: and think about all the delicious food you could be eating
0: I know yeah I mean when when we visit your hometown we can eat all those foods anyway it is episode 365 I've got a fact you guys kind of know where I'm going with this I imagine it's probably not terribly original It's uh, 365 days in in a classic year. But I thought I would just kind of add some context to this, some things that everybody should really know, but maybe you just kind of haven't thought about it. I don't know. So why is a year 365 days? I will put Anitra on the spot. Why is a year 365 days?
1: Uh, Because that is the closest estimate for how long it takes the Earth to go around the sun.
0: That is not true. And that is what most people think that is an incomplete answer.
1: Well, I'm giving the incomplete answer because the complete answer takes more time.
0: No, no, it doesn't. So here's the deal. So, yes, one rotation of the sun is approximately 365 days. But the thing is that the Earth has to spin on its axis 365 times for that to happen, to, to have 365 oh,
1: days. Oh, sure, right? sure. So sure. It's
0: an, it sure. is an incomplete answer to merely say that the Earth goes around the sun and it takes 365 days to do it. Fair. And of course, like you said, it's not actually 365 days. It's actually closer to 365.25 days. It's less than that, though. Every four years we have a leap day.
1: But it's less than that because we don't have a leap year every four Correct.
0: Years. It is technically 365.24219 days, so we have a leap Day every four years, except every 100 years, we don't have a leap day. So in 2000, we didn't have a leap day. Correct. But every 400 years, you do have a leap day. Wait,
1: so in 2000, we did have a leap day?
0: I don't really know. But in, I have but no, in 1900, <laughs> they did not.
1: And in 2100, <laughs> we will not.
0: Something like that. I don't know. But so every, everybody knows you have a leap day every four years. And there's a guy that works on my company that was born on February 29th. So we always have the joke about how we're hiring minors now.
2: When I was in high school, we had a father and son duo who were teachers in the school district. The father was born on a leap year on February 29th. The son was not. So technically, the father had actually <laughs> celebrated less birthdays if you want to be technical, well, yeah, then it's sun.
0: That's funny. Exactly. That's funny. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. So anyway, it's close to 365.25 days, which is why we have an extra day every four years, but it's a smidgen less than 365.25 so we skip the leap year every century, except we have one every multiple of 400 years as another slight correction on top of the correction of the 365.25. So, I thought that, like, even though everybody thinks 365 days in a year, Having all of those details was actually pretty interesting with regards to, like, the whole leap year thing, but especially that first part, where it is not merely how long it takes the Earth to go around the sun, but specifically how many times the Earth spins on its axis while it does it. Sure. And there yeah. you go. And that uh, that's my fact for 365.
1: <laughs> you took that one and you ran with it. Good job.
0: Listen, I wanted... To, I mean... <sighs> First of all, nobody wants to hear about Microsoft Office 365. No, okay, and I if never want to hear about that 365, again. 365. That's what you're getting, like a lot of it. So nope. I figured I would go with something that at least people would care about. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Anitra, I'm sure you have something better to talk about.
1: Well, I can give you a message from our sponsor. Please. There is so much swirling around in this world that it's hard right now to find some stability you might be struggling with some of what we've talked about before, like 529s, financial scams, or even the sunk cost fallacy. Or maybe on the positive side, you might be trying to figure out if this is a good time to refinance your house, or how and where to invest your savings, or if and when you can retire. Whether you're worried about what's happening, or you're lucky to find yourself in a strong financial position and want some help making the right tactical move, First Move Financial can help. If you want some help finding solid footing underneath you or help finding the right step to leap up to the next level, head to firstmovefinancial.com slash familygamers and schedule a quick phone call to see how First Move can help you.
0: All right. Thanks so much to the team at First Move Financial for sponsoring another episode of the Family Gamers podcast. All right. Jeremy, we've pre-gamed a little bit of this before the show. It's time to talk about what we've been playing. And I gotta be honest with everybody, just have a seat, because (laughs) it's been a pretty good couple of weeks for us, and of course you went to Tantrum Con, which is a big part of why you're on the show this week as opposed to some other week. So let's talk about a couple of things that we've been playing. We'll go round robin, I think, around the room. All right. What's uh, on your list, Jeremy?
2: Let's see here. I'm going to save one of the games for later when we talk a little bit more about Tantrum Con, but one of the fun games that I got to play... Uh, actually came up in our writer's chat, uh Echidna Shuffle. Uh
1: is it, great. it's a great game.
2: It is silly, goofy looking. Uh my ten-year-old daughter absolutely loved the plastic Echidnas, and how can mm-hmm. you not? Um, but it was a fun puzzle too. Like there there was some thinking going on there and just trying to manipulate and plan out your moves. The uh, the dice rolling for movement was done in a really interesting way. When you roll the die, that's how many movement options you have. But then you place it on the game board and your next turn, it slides down to a predetermined next amount of movement before you roll again on your third, the third following turn. It was just really creative, but it was perfect for my 10 year old who is interested in gaming, but she's not into the the big games it was just a great fun time that we had
1: yeah i've always loved that die mechanism where every kind of pair of turns everyone at the table has actually had the same number of moves yeah so like if you move two then next time you'll move seven if you moved four then next time you'll move five
0: and for anybody who's kind of wondering kidney shuffle is this game it's essentially a like a pickup and deliver game yes. I would yeah. you describe it as that yeah but you're on this board with very limited free space because it's just full of these adorable plastic echidnas.
1: It should be called Echidna Traffic Jam. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yes, like absolutely.
0: I, I, when you look at the board. Like, I don't know if you have this where you are, but especially when we drive in Boston, there's signs everywhere that says "Don't block the box," which because when you when you have a four way intersection, there's like the basically don't stop your car in the middle of the intersection, you know, during traffic lights or whatever. And that's what I think about when I play this game because it's like everybody is just. In everybody's way because they're trying to get to where they want to go. And it's, it's you know, it's one of those things where, like, if you pull through an intersection and then you stop, then the other people can't go. And then it's just, it's just this big tangle. It's a mess. big mess. It's fun. And it,
2: it can get to be one of those things where it's like, you're trying to get through this section. So you're moving that, moving the echidnas in one way. But someone's like, no, I need to get through that way. I'm going to move the echidna back. And you're just like, <laughs> and you're just trying to find that that one area where it's like, okay, nobody needs to get through here right now. Let's shove everything over that way.
0: Right.
2: It's yep. entertaining. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Very, Very cute good. game. Very
0: simple, but, but brilliant. Anitra, sure what do you got?
1: I think I'm going to open with talking about Get Bit, which we just played tonight with our kids. Mm. Uh, so this is the new version where it is a uh, everyone is bath toys. We're little bath toys, and there's a little bath toy shark coming after us which makes it much less gruesome that all of our little swimmers are losing limbs. (laughs) But after some struggle to get all of our children to the table at once for this, everyone had a great time. Like it was a ton of like, no, don't play that card. We need to make sure that mom gets to the back of the line and the shark gets mom and all of the, you know, the trash talking that goes along with that. It was a great time. And our 15 year old, Was starting to be like, it seems like this is going to take a long time. And I'm like, we got like four turns left. Yes, everybody was still laid out there. and It's like, and you lose your last limb and you lose your last limb and you lose your last limb. And then there's only two people in line. And so whoever's farther back in line gets eaten by the shark. Remaining person wins, which I love the way it, it whittles down. And then all of a sudden it's just done.
0: I am looking it up on BGG right now. I'm confessing that I'm looking it up on BGG because i'm not sure which imprint of flat river uh is printing this it might be greater than games it is you know brand new however i do want to point out that somebody has made uh cookies with limbs and so i think we should play this game with gingerbread men and eat their limbs off when sharks eat them what do you think
1: i am all for that
0: yeah yeah and then whoever wins can eat the shark which will also be a cookie (laughs)
1: fantastic I, I love this idea
0: right all right cool 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 i like yeah. that, you know we, we came together on that one yeah it is super
1: cute my
0: <laughs> our 13 year old started making like mutant people at the end because you literally pull the arms and legs off of these like rubber you know little guys like to represent that they've been eaten off so he was like putting four legs on it. whatever it's fine you know what <laughs> it's got a cool toy factor to it it's just a riot it's just a lot of fun so let's get bit i want to talk about a game that we got in yesterday, literally yesterday, and we've already played it twice. Uh, Well, I've played it twice. I played it solo first to kind of figure the game out, and then I played it with Anitra because I felt like it was a good you know, brain smush. And this is the game Archaeologic. Uh, This is another game from Flat River Group. I think this is published by Ludonaut. Anitra will look it up while I'm talking. But this game has serious, serious turing machine vibes but not with numbers.
1: Yeah, absolutely um, not.
0: Yeah. So basically this is a game where you have a 5x5 five five grid and you have a bunch of polyominoes and the polyominoes have one of three icons on each of the squares of the polyomino. It's either like a box which is like free or it's like a triangle thing or it's like a spiral and the triangle and the spiral represent traps. And Basically, what's happening in this game is you have this clue giving apparatus in the same way that Turing machine has like a clue card that you would line up um, your testing devices in front of to see answers. There's like a clue card for each of the puzzles in Archaeologic. And then there's this clue giving apparatus where... You kind of spin the top around to identify which of the shapes you want to ask the apparatus a question about or a couple of other things. And you line up this hole at the bottom with whichever row or column the game is telling you that you have to ask about. So when it is your turn, the game says you can either ask a question about some row and it'll tell you which row, or you can ask a question about some column and it'll tell you the column. You can spend your currency in the game, which is effectively time to change that if you want to. And so, you you know, you take this, I don't know, uh, Rosetta Stone kind of, like, clue card, and you put it underneath this apparatus so that the right row or column is showing, and the apparatus is pointed to the correct shape, and it'll give you some answers. And it'll basically say, like, let's say you have to ask questions about row five, and you want to ask questions about the piece that is shaped like a like an L in Tetris, right? So it's, you know. Three a line of three with one that sticks out. So you would turn the top so that it's highlighting the L, and then you would put this piece underneath so that the space um, indicating what you're asking a question about is the row five. And then you look at it, and it's going to either show you dots, which means nothing, or it's going to show you those icons that are on the Polyono pieces, the trap icons, the triangle, the spiral, or the square, which is free. And through this, and through the art of deduction, you are trying to figure out what the orientation of these polyominoes is in the five by five grid that you have in front of you. And essentially the game is trying to figure this out faster than your opponent.
1: Right. But the faster is where that paying time as currency comes in.
0: Yeah, it's super interesting. So this has a very, so the way it works is it's essentially like a Tokaido style mechanism where whoever is last is the person who gets to go. And so Basically, the more exact the clue is that you're looking for, generally speaking, the more time you have to pay to ask that question. And you pay that time by moving your little marker forward on this track. And so you can ask a whole bunch of little questions if you're way in the back and kind of sneak up on, you know, the next person in line and get a ton of information. Right. And then, like, I don't know, when you're right behind them, now you ask the big question, which, like, vaults you ahead of them, or whatever, I don't know, but it's a neat way to do this, because in a game like Turing Machine, every question that you ask the clue-giving apparatus has the same weight, and that's not the case here. Yeah. Right? So you can ask a less clear question if you have, kind of, your deduction dominoes in place, and it won't cost you, air quote, as much in time as something that is, like, Tell me how many traps are in row four from this cube, right? That's a very exact question. So it's a very expensive question to ask. So, you know, there's a lot more like moving parts and kind of stuff going on in this game that, than there is in Turing Machine. Turing Machine is you line up, you know, three things and you grab a, a card and, and you kind of put it in, and you're done. There is an app that goes along with this game too that we did not use. I am hopeful that the app kind of replaces all of the moving parts and the and the all that stuff. Because it could. It totally could. And if it does, I think this game's an absolute winner. If it doesn't, I think it's got its place. A lot of people that I taught Turing Machine to really struggle with kind of the abstractness of numbers and and just kind of how that part of it worked. And I think that the spatial puzzle of a game like this is a little bit better. This game doesn't have the problems that Save Patient Zero did, oh, which is another yeah. game that is a spatial game that I think the threads of it were really, really strong, but ultimately it, it fell down on execution. I think this game is is kind of a notch above that. I'm hopeful that this app will replace a, a lot of the kind of fiddliness of the mechanisms.
1: And we'll report back.
0: <laughs> and we will report back. Like, like it, If the app replaces all that stuff, I, I could see us taking this to the restaurant that we go to every Thursday morning for breakfast. If it doesn't, it's too many parts. Yeah. So that's archaeologic. I played it solo, and I really didn't know what the heck I was doing. I felt like I was doing very poorly, but when I looked at the solution at the end, it gives you a range, and it basically says, if you're under the range, you're a master. If you're in the range, you did a good job. If you're above the range, try again later. <laughs> like, and I was in there. I was near the upper end of the range, but I was in the range. So I made it easy on myself. There's a whole, like, clue gathering thing at the beginning and the more clues that you gather like the easier the puzzle is and the less clues you gather the harder it is and there's there's a nice balancing mechanism there where you can say like okay well i'll take three clues and then the kids can have two more right because you can have up to five clues so there's a nice balance there it'll give the kids some more information because you have a little player screen so i like that part of it too there's a lot of really good things here it's just a little fiddly and if we can figure out a way to get past that I have really, really high hopes for this game and the success of this game. So that's kind of where I'm at with Archaeologic. Do you want to add anything? I talked a lot. I,
1: I <laughs> mean, I'm, I'm with you. I only played it the one time so far, and it was hard to kind of figure out what was going on at first. And there's a few graphic design missteps here. But overall, like once I got into the flow of it, it made a ton of sense. And the errors that I made were... Completely my fault, and I could not blame them on something not being clear in the game. Hmm.
0: So, more to come on Archaeologic. That's pretty high on our priority list. It's something that we want to make sure that we review February or March. So, um, definitely going to be playing that a lot and talking about that.
1: All right, back to you, Jeremy.
2: It's me. Uh, I got to play Ecosystem Savannah
1: uh,
2: a couple times recently. And... I'm sticking with the animal theme, I guess, is what we're learning here. very much enjoyed it. Uh, It was actually my my introduction to the Ecosystem series. I had not played any of them before. I love the puzzle. I I love card drafting games. I love that tension of, man, this is really good. This is really good. But just that whole, I'm really hoping that's going to make it back around to me. Mm -hmm. I, I love that tension, but it's easy to understand for... Uh, our kids the cheat sheet helps immensely with Mm -hmm. remembering what scoring is that is huge just because there's a lot of details for every single card but it plays so quickly Mm -hmm. and there's just something satisfying when you get to see the combos with the cheetahs and the hyenas coming through and then if you're able to snag one of those vultures and just maximum it's it's such a fun puzzle very much enjoy it Super easy to get to the table as long as you've got enough room. The cards are small enough, but you get four people playing. You're going to need a decent sized table yeah. still. But very much enjoyed my introduction to the ecosystem series and Savannah was a lot of fun.
0: Sweet, yeah. yeah that, we reviewed that... both Coral Reef and Savannah on the website. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say if the only one you've played is Savannah, mm-hmm. I think Coral Reef is a little more complicated, and yes. I didn't love like. In retro, like I was fine when I played it, but in retrospect, I really liked Savannah better. Okay, I thought there's this weird food web thing that I get what they were going for. It was just strange, and it definitely confused a lot of the people that I was playing with. So I would say Savannah, and then maybe the original, just because I mean they were really carving new ground with that game. I mean, yeah, it's it's a pretty straightforward like drafting, you know, positioning game. But mm-hmm. uh, the original and then Savannah, I think, are a little bit better than Coral Reef. In
2: yeah. It, it was a lot of fun. Uh, and the way that they handle scoring with the scoring pad just makes it a lot easier as well. Being able to handle the sequential nature of gazelles and cheetahs and everything. They they did a great job with that.
0: Yeah. I actually really like the timing of the scoring because it totally changes what you're doing, right? Like after the first time I played it, I was like, oh, I, I'm going to play this game completely differently now.
1: <laughs> right. Because you want gazelles, but you want to place them so that. A lot of them actually do get eaten by your cheetahs right. or right. your hyenas or your lions, but you want to make sure that you're not trying to use the same gazelle for all of them, because once they get eaten, they're eaten, right. they're, but, they're gone,
0: but unless me, you have a vulture. Like, for me, it was like, oh, it's okay if the gazelles get eaten, because they're going to score before they get eaten, right? right. Like that Exactly. Time, that was the piece that I had missed the first time I played the game.
2: Yeah, yeah. The, it, it's, it's unique. It's creative. Because usually it's like, oh, hey, hey, you you score these things in a board game, but it's just to help you organize how you score. Whereas in this game, it actually serves a purpose because Mm -hmm. it affects other cards. I very much enjoyed that.
0: Yep, hundred percent.
1: Well, I'll continue some of the theme by talking about another educational game from the um, same from Genius Games, (laughs) and that's First in Flight. So I actually played it for the second time this week. And it's a deck-building game where all of the players are competing to be the first group to achieve heavier-than-air flight. So you're constantly trying to add these cards to your deck to let your plane go a little bit further, a little bit further, a little bit further. But depending on how you add cards and what kind of cards you add, if you add the really good cards, the ones they call the upgrade cards then you also take more bad stuff into your deck. And so you've got this balancing act. You're also going around a board to fix stuff, to upgrade, to get more money, to actually land on the action space to allow you to do a test flight. I like it conceptually, and now that I've played it twice, it's gelling a little bit better in my head. This is a game where I'm guessing very few people are really going to Grocket the first time they play it. It's just kind of weird in the way things are presented. And as a deck building game, it's kind of annoying that your best deck is going to be one full of really low value cards. So you're flipping them out one at a time. It's like one, 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 one. Oh, a two. Great. One, one. The highest value is five, but all of the number one cards when you get them, don't cause you any penalty. And some of them, it will actually let you get even more one cards. So it's really to your advantage to collect a lot of those. But then when you do your test flight, you're just, it's a press your luck thing. You're flipping out cards. And at some point you're going to decide to stop or you're going to crash because you've accumulated too many bad symbols. And so it's a little frustrating because it turns into a real table hog and everybody else has to wait while someone's doing the test flight and it's just like you're watching the other person you're like okay okay like they're still flipping cards they're still flip are are you gonna keep going or are you gonna stop because there's also that like oh i don't know what i want to do and it makes it feel a lot longer than it needs to i think
0: yeah i experienced the same thing in the you know i've only played it once and you were there for the the one time that i played it as well i will say the production value on this game is top-notch oh yeah fantastic the art is great it's just super nice right um and i you know i expect nothing less from genius but i I, I'm, i'm a little worried about the mechanics of this game uh there are some things in it that really look like they're strategic and then they add some dumb twist in and it's like oh just never mind there's no actual strategy to this it's totally luck of the draw and some other weird things like that so I would like to play it more to see if maybe it was just a, a first game impression kind of thing. But also that other piece is definitely true, especially if you're going to play this game with kids. Like mechanically, this game could go down to like a nine or a ten. At least if they're age.
1: really interested in the topic. If yeah.
0: They, yeah, if they like the topic. But the length really is not a nine-year-old, a nine-year-old is going to just be like, mom, yeah. why are we playing?
2: You know <laughs> No, I,
1: mean? I, I played it with a... With, this time with a teenager and another adult, and we had about seventy-five minutes to play, and we just barely squeezed it in to that seventy-five yeah. minutes.
0: Yeah. And for a three player game, that's I think you're asking a lot there. That's 25 minutes a player, right? So yeah, yeah I, I I just think we get we need to play it some more, and hopefully, you know, when we review the game, we can provide some tips on like, hey, do this, don't do this, be mindful of whatever. Yep. Um, they do a good job with the insert. Considering it's the stock insert and it wasn't like some special game trays thing, yes. like making it so that you can put certain kind of cards in the insert so that you can draw out of set decks, like while you're playing the game, like oh, you need this kind of card, go get, you know what I mean? Yeah, the so, insert
1: does let you organize pretty much all the cards, yeah. which makes setup a lot faster, mm-hmm. uh, which is nice. My other concern, I'm trying to stay optimistic, but my other concern is that the box says one to four. But both the solo mode and the two-player mode involve having some kind of an AI player, so it's that really like one just of
0: a three or four-player
1: game ever. that has these other modes kind of tacked on.
0: Don't like. Oh. But
1: we're, we're gonna try it. We're gonna see how it goes. I can stay optimistic at this point because I've seen games that do that really well. But
0: <laughs> big butts. It
1: feels <laughs> it feels a little disingenuous to say one to four players on the box when. Especially to learn the weirdness of this game, you really need to play it at three or four players before you start adding in like, oh, I also have this other fake player that does an extra thing. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, we're kind of on the fence still about first in flight. Going to play it a little bit more.
0: All right. Uh, I'm going to bring in another game that we have not yet talked about on the podcast. This is a game that we got for review at PAX Unplugged from Ravensburger. And this is the game Mycelia. So. A couple of people have actually asked me about this game, so this is not mycelium. Like, there's a thing on mushroom games. There's it's so many mushroom Grove games right now. That that other game was. This is mycelia from Ravensburger. Let me put it like this: If you look at the cover of the game that you think I'm talking about, and it's not an adorable mushroom smiling at you, you have the wrong game. Okay, <laughs> it's it's very. This game is very cute. So the the story of this game. So first of all, if you go back to the Pax blog interviews, we I, I interviewed someone from. Uh, Ravensburger, and they talked about the designer and why he made this game. He made this game as an introductory deck builder to play with his mom. Very cute. Ooh. So I played this with our daughter, Claire, and what I will say is this is most definitely an intro deck builder. It is very slightly heavier and has other things going on than uh, the T-Dragon Society, okay. which is the simplest deck builder I have ever seen, ever. Uh, so, I
1: disagree. I think abandon all artichokes is simpler, but that uh, uh, point taken.
0: I mean, it's just a different kind of game, though. Yeah. Like, it's not a deck builder. I mean, you. Can, all right, I'm not going to get into this. We've had we're this not going to start
1: more. this discussion. We had this argument
0: with Emma on the show. So, <laughs> I'm <not gonna> just, <laughs> so in mycelia, you start with a game board that has 20 what they call dew drops on it, and on your turn, basically, you have a hand of three cards, and those cards enable you to do certain things like move dewdrops drops towards one of the squares on your board is a portal so you can move them orthogonally if you move a dewdrop into the portal it goes onto this like central board where there's you know a certain number of spots depending on how many players if there's two players it's 10 spots three players 15 spots four players 20 spots. so you just put these do drops on the thing and you start with a deck of six you draw three so those cards are either going to allow you to move your Dew Drops or give you these Leaf Tokens, which is currency. It's exactly what you think. There's uh, kind of a, a shop to buy from, a shop of cards to buy from. If you collect enough of these Leaf Tokens, you can buy some of the cards. The cards go into your deck. This is one difference. The card that, card or cards that you buy go on top of your deck instead of in your discard pile. So that's a little bit different from most deck builds.
1: And it makes sense if this is supposed to be, like, a super intro.
0: Right. Because you're not delaying gratification. You're getting it immediately, you know, mm-hmm. functionally mm-hmm. immediately, like, on your next turn. And honestly, like, that's pretty much it. So when the thing in the middle fills with the 10 or 15 or 20 dewdrops, it, it's this whole thing you have to, like, build. It spins around, and it rolls a die, and wherever the die, you know, whatever icon is on the die, you look at kind of the corresponding grid, and you have to put some dewdrops back on your player board. And you just play until like, the first player to get rid of all the dewdrops drops on their board wins. Very basic. I think we went through 10 of the 100 cards in the shop deck. It just was not a lot. Um, and I would imagine that with more players, you'd go through more of those, right? I think the game would just kind of be a little bit longer in a lot of different ways. But it was very cute. It was very simple. Um, you know, Claire didn't hate me for playing, which is always a that's, plus. That's a plus, yeah you know she's not exactly the biggest board gamer in the family i'm looking forward to playing it some more especially at higher player counts, and that's mycelia not mycelium not undergrove mycelia
1: <laughs> for what it's worth according to board game geek in the last two years there have been two games released named mycelia another two named mycelium in the last two years
0: Right. And, there's and more, then there's also undergrowth. I don't think Elizabeth Hargrave's mushroom game, I think that's undergrowth. That's undergrowth. a totally different game, yes. but it's still about mushrooms. Yes. Anyway. That's crazy. Name collision. The new zombies, <laughs> I guess.
2: I was going to say the new bird game because it felt like we went through that after Wingspan came out. Uh, I feel exactly. like there was yeah. a bit of a yeah, flood no, of this.
0: But this mushroom thing's not a copy. They just all came out at the same time. It's yeah, weird. It's interesting. I don't know. Whatever. I have no idea.
2: It's the spores.
0: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Jeremy, back to you. Uh,
2: where do I want to go? I'm going to stick with the animal theme. got to play Chicken by Keymaster, or from Keymaster Games. Um, I got to check this out last year at Tantrum Con. They had brought it uh, then and got to play it again. And it's just this super simple, highly entertaining, press-your-luck dice-rolling game. Uh, you are attempting to collect chicken heads on the dice, which are your points. (laughs) And it's press your luck because there are also fox heads on the dice. And you get three of those, you bust and you lose everything. Start off with rolling four dice in your little chicken coop, but there are also eggs on the dice. And each time you roll an egg, you add another die from the supply. So I believe there's a total of 16 dice you can be rolling. Either twelve or sixteen, and so it can you can really start to press your luck as this game goes on. on uh, It's it's only to twenty five points, but you get those crazy moments where somebody might end up pushing all the dice to the next player. Like you stop, you say, "All right, I'm going to bank my points here." You get to roll everything, and you're just hoping you're able to get something crazy without rolling a bunch of box heads. And as people get Towards the very end, you know everyone's cheering. Bust, 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 and it just becomes very entertaining. Very simple game, but it's honestly so much fun when you're just rolling dice.
0: Yeah, yeah. I've seen that, and I really knew nothing about it, so it's pretty entertaining to hear.
2: It, it it's so fun, and it's just this little game mat, but it's done up as a farm. In the middle is the chicken coop, and you've got little barnyard meeples that uh, you pick, and that's your scoring token going around the outside of the chicken coop. Super simple, super entertaining.
1: Very fun. All right. I guess that means it's back to me. I will talk about yet another game that I don't think we've talked about yet, which is a game called Redwood. So Redwood is almost like if Tang Garden and Photosynthesis had a baby and gave it a photography theme.
0: Yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah.
1: Uh, So you've got a circular board and everyone is a photographer. You are a nature photographer. You are trying to get the best, by the end of the game, the best panoramic nature shot with all the different kinds of backgrounds of all of the different sort of ecosystems and lots of animals and plants and flowers and things like that. This is a game that uses fluid movement. I'm going to call it that fluid. On your turn, you pick sort of a movement curve and a field of view for what your camera is going to be able to see that turn. You place your movement curve. It can't hit any animals or any other photographers. Other than that, you can basically put it starting from your photographer any direction you want, as long as you stay basically on the map. And then once you've decided where you want it, you get a second photographer piece To put on the exact end of that curve. And then you remove the first photographer and the curve. And then you're trying to take the best picture you can. Which there's also different objectives that come out over the course of the game. So it might be like you're going to get extra points if you can take a picture with a tree in it. You're going to get extra points if you can take a picture where something is only partially covered by your field of view instead of fully covered. All these kind of things. You're going to get extra points if you are looking at a specific direction. All that kinds of stuff. So it's really interesting. I especially love that this is a game where there aren't spaces or distances the way we normally think of in a board game. Where it's like, oh, I'm going, you know, one, two, three, four. It feels much more like a real worldly kind of thing. Where it's like, you know, hey, I'm going to guess and pull this movement thing, and hope it gets me to where I want to be. On top of that, once we got into playing it, the scoring is pretty intuitive. There's a couple of things that it's like, you really don't want to do this thing. You really do want to do this thing. And other than that, it's pretty much, set yourself up to take the best picture you can. The end.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, my biggest concern about Redwood, so I I like the game, I think it's fun to play. My biggest concern about this game is that the movement arrows i'll call them mm-hmm. and the field of view tools mm-hmm. are very off-putting for a non-hardcore game they just scream war game to me and i just like i feel like somebody would watch someone trying to lay this curved arrow thing on the board and be like that nope i'm not doing that you know what i mean like everybody's got this collection of these pieces that they're trying to figure out how to move yeah. their stuff with i just feel like i, I don't really consider us hardcore gamers but you know we're eight years into a board game <laughs> podcast so i guess
1: hardcore uh, enough
0: yeah, <laughs> perspective is a little Har-
1: hardcore on right. the yeah, the under three difficulty yeah, rating right. on hardcore
0: casual gamers uh but but you know what i mean though like i if i'm at like a tantrum con where a lot of the gamers are not going to be like i'm playing you know kdm or whatever right they're just like, hey, I'm gonna play Asking for Troubles with my kids or, or something yeah. like that. They're gonna look and they're gonna see like these arrows and like trying to arrange this stuff and be like, no, that's not for me. Like, that's my biggest concern about this game.
1: Uh yeah, I mean, so I would say that first of all, I wouldn't play this with particularly young kids because you do have the problem of you could shift stuff around on the board unintentionally. Mm-hmm. Although less than you would think looking at the board the design is really really good and there's only a few things that actually kind of stick up from the board and they either have little pegs to put them in place or your photographer people have uh like a grippy foot surface on the bottom so it's actually like you would have to try to move something more than a millimeter or so however (laughs) i still wouldn't play it with particularly young kids And I think you're right. I think for someone who has seen war games before and doesn't like them, (laughs) the look of this might be off-putting. But I think for the two ends of the spectrum, for someone who enjoys some of the ideas behind war games, but maybe doesn't actually want a war game theme, this could be interesting. And I think for a more casual audience of... More of an artsy type of person who's like, you can't tell me I can only move two spaces. I want to move three spaces. Something like this where you have a lot more choice in exactly how you're going to move could be really freeing and helpful. For what it's worth in the rules, you're not allowed to like pick up and test every piece before you decide on one. You basically have to look at it and guess. <laughs> So I could see that going poorly uh, with a particular child of ours (laughs) who shall remain nameless.
0: Yeah, don't mention her name.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But I think it also brings that difficulty back down a little bit because nobody is as good at estimating those distances as they think they are. Everyone's going to struggle with it a little bit. And when you see that everyone else is struggling with it, then you're like, okay, you know what, I can lay back a little bit and just make my best guess and move rather than obsessing over can I figure out which one this is without actually touching anything? No, you just pick something and go.
0: So we'll play that one some more. Uh, that's another one that comes from the Greater FRG group. Yeah.
1: All right, it's your turn, Andrew.
0: Oh goodness gracious, isn't really my turn already? Okay. Yep. Um, I'll talk about a shorter one. We're going to talk about a game from Button Shy, which is one of Anitra's favorite publishers. And we're going to talk about Picky Pixie. So this game. Okay, I'm gonna preface this with I am horrific at this game. <laughs> so but you bad.
1: won when we played. So,
0: yeah, yeah. I don't know how that happened. That was a scoring mistake or something. Okay, <laughs> so in Picky Pixie, there is a, there's a pick. So this is an 18 card, you know, button shy game. So there's a card. It is a picture of a pixie, and on one side it says yes, and on the other side it says no. And there is a collection of I guess it's technically 15 cards because there's two cards that have something else on them or something.
1: 16. 16 Whatever. cards because like you've got know. the pixie the pixi card and the like help card. So yeah, the other 16 cards yeah. have flowers sure. on them.
0: Each of these cards is two-sided and there are four possible offers. And so at the beginning of the game, whoever is the one who is keeping the secret or being the picky pixie yes. draws the first two cards and looks at all eight possible combinations, right? Because there's four on each card and they have to come up with a rule that one of these things, at least one of these things applies to. And at least one of these things does not apply to. And so they write the secret rule down and then they slide those cards under the two sides of the picky pixie so that there's a yes with some offer, some selection and a no with some other selection. And on these cards are, Different kinds and colors of flowers.
1: There are four kinds of flowers. There are four colors of flowers. And each offer has between one and four flowers.
0: Mm -hmm. So that's it. And then the other person, the other person, people, more than two player, I don't don't know. All the rest of the people who are playing. All the rest of the people will start by drawing a card, looking at the four options they have, and offering that card to the picky pixie. And the picky pixie will take it, and based on the rule that they have written down, will put that card on yes or no. At some point, some know-it-all is going to think they know what the rule is. Right? Actually, you know what? This reminds me of uh of Blackwood Grove.
1: Uh, there's definitely a similar element to yeah, that. Yeah, it's, although- it's very
0: like green yeah. glass door kind of game. If you know the the uh, the green glass door game, you know, does something pass through the green glass door? No, you don't know this. I don't want to say it because I I don't want to
1: ruin the game. Jeremy's nodding now. I I
0: understand the concept. Yes. Yeah. 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 So. All right. So that's the game. And so when somebody thinks they know, they say, oh, I think I know. And then they
1: guess. Everybody gets to write down a guess.
0: Yeah. And then if they are wrong, then the top guess card gets put next to the Picky Pixie. And that's going to be points for the Picky Pixie. If they are right, then they get points for the rest of the cards in the deck. And that's picky pixie and hmm. i guessed right one time which got was enough, enough, <laughs> which was enough
1: to, <laughs> to push you up past my yeah. my score
0: i think i got four points in one round and anitra got one point in three rounds like huh. one point in three different rounds so like consistently she was performing better than me but i got lucky once
1: uh, something along those lines yeah huh. um yeah So that's picky pixie cute game
0: i feel like the only negative feelings i have is just that i was so bad at it like <laughs> i was so bad so bad but other than that i think it's cute it's smart I-, I appreciate it
1: this is nice in that it's one of those games where you actually can adjust your difficulty levels quite a bit which is not super common with button shy games cuz you've got such a limited number of cards to work with but you adjust the difficulty level by what kind of rule the pixie is allowed to make so on the simplest level it is there must be a amount which is not really a number but it's a a number slash comparison. So an amount and then a a single descriptor of flowers. So it, it could be something like at least three flowers or exactly one yellow. So stuff like that. You can get more complex by allowing an and in the rule and you can get even more complex by just being freeform and being like, It still has to apply to the specific little offer that's being made, but anything goes. As long as when you start the game, the Picky Pixie can put one offer on the yes side and one offer on the no side of the card. I really like that. I'm looking forward to trying this with our kids because I think it'll be interesting in more of a group setting to see where people go with this.
0: So that's that. That's Picky Pixie. Back to Jeremy then.
2: At uh, my eldest interest, uh, we got Dungeons & Dragons, Dungeon Scrawlers, Heroes of Waterdeep to the table this week.
1: Nice.
2: It was highly entertaining. <laughs> I've never played a game quite like this, I guess I will say. It is a maze, essentially a maze game. Everybody gets the same dungeon in front of them, and a dry erase marker, and your goal is to complete whatever the objective is. For said dungeon, each dungeon gets a card that tells you any special features of the dungeon and what the end of the dungeon is and any scoring for that. Usually it is a big bad guy that you have to completely scroll over. There are a couple dungeons that are time based, which was interesting. It's you accomplish as much as you can in this dungeon in say two and a half minutes. Mm-hmm. My son did not enjoy that as much as the other ones, but it, it's a very interesting. Uh, you get to pick your class like you would in a Dungeons and Dragons game, and each character has a specific bonus for how they interact with the different puzzles, essentially. The cleric does not have to, there's artifacts, and they do not have to follow the sequential uh, way to pick up that artifact. They can just connect them, all the dots, in whatever order they want, and move on. But different ways for you to interact with the dungeon in different ways that make it easier, because there are essentially four different, for lack of a better term, puzzles. You have enemies, you have treasures, you have the artifacts. There was one more. Spells was the other one. But you have to follow a strict rule for how you interact with that. If it's a a treasure, like a, a bag of gold coins, you have to trace out the outline. You have to actually follow the specific trace the entire spell. Bad guys, you have to color completely in. And you're just going through the dungeon, and every time you go into a room, you have to do whatever's in that room to get through it, and it's a race to get to the end. Uh, there are mini dungeons that get added in. So it takes you to another little card that you have then to, and it'll pop you out of different parts of the dungeon. It is entertaining. All right. It sounds like a lot, but when you just have the the nice dry erase map in front of you, you look at it and you go, okay, here's where I start. That's where I have to go. Let's figure out how to get there. And you get bonus points for, for different things. There are gold coins that you can take little detours to pick up. And that helps your end game scoring. Each one is worth an endgame point, but whoever gets the most gets three extra points. So it's just different ways to get more points. Quick games, and honestly, you can be as harsh with the uh, particulars of the drawing element as you want. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if you're playing with a younger child and they keep bumping into the walls, the rules say that you lose a point. But if someone's just trying to understand the game, you take it easy, right? you get to be much more harsh on the adults playing the game. (laughs) Um, And the fun thing is you have to pass your dungeon to the player to your right. And they do the scoring for you. You do not score your own. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it's interesting. It's fun. We enjoyed it. We look forward to playing it some more and I'll have a review
0: in a month or so. All
1: right.
0: We enjoyed that. Very, very cool.
1: All right. My last one is going to be a holiday hijinks man we just
0: seem to gobble these up
1: uh (laughs) so we have not played the groundhog day themed one yet still because that one's supposed to be really hard and we didn't have time for that on the day that we wanted to play one so instead we grabbed the turkey trial
0: so here so the deal is that we we talked about on the show every thursday morning we go out for breakfast and there is a, a very sweet waitress who's usually our waitress, and she has a, I think a nine year old son. And we're talking about escape rooms and stuff like that. And we were kind of talking about these holiday hijinks about how they're like a cool thing to do at home. It's a little bit less expensive, you know, single mom all And we we're like, well, you know what? We'll we'll bring you one next week. But we were looking, and we're like, well, the Groundhog Gambit is the one that's you know timed correctly. But like, I didn't want to give that to yeah. a mundane, you know, <laughs> like like somebody who doesn't.
1: Someone who's never done this before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. And the Turkey Trials is, is ranked, you know, one out of five for difficulty. So that's why we went with that one.
1: Well, but we also squeezed it in to a time that we had about an hour.
0: Yeah. Which we, we
1: definitely yeah. would not have gotten the Groundhog one done in that time, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. But we played the Turkey Trial. And I will say a couple things about it. I think this would be an excellent entrance to the Holiday Hijink series. It is definitely approachable for kids, and the Thanksgiving theme is not actually all that strong in it. It's more of a farm theme.
0: Mm-hmm. That's true.
1: So you really could play it any time of year and still have a great time with it. I would recommend it over the um, what's the first one called, the Kringle, Kringle Caper, which up until now had been the easiest one. That I think
0: we the birthday played. one is a pretty good. The birthday one's entry also one pretty easy. Well. Yeah. Yeah. And it so, makes a really good
1: birthday present. True. (laughs) But both in difficulty and thematically, the turkey trial seems to be the way to go if you're going to try one of these for the first time with some kids involved. Yeah, it's farm themed and it's kind of friendship themed. So it was really cute. I really, really liked it.
0: Yeah, I think there's going to be some things in there that, you know, are a little challenging, as there always are. Sure. For a true novice escape room in a box, you know, group. But. It's all good stuff. It, it, there's no shame in taking a hint or two once in a while. It's all it's good. It's good. Plus, it's it's like 18 cards. So, like, how long could it possibly really take? So, right. Anyway, so the last thing I'll talk about, you know, we're playing more unmatched with uh, more uh, Nobunaga and Tomoe Gozen. I really like these two characters. I was thinking about this the other day because one of the things we want to do with this as we review it is to play it with characters that are not from the set and see how they come together. And I really want to be Bruce Lee against Tomoe. That's I what is, think, that, would I think that would be fun yeah i just i think that he would really be a pain against her i mean he's kind of an op character anyway yeah but um, yeah you know uh i, w- I want to try that so, although i
1: smushed him with uh with t-rex that was fun
0: i mean literally but uh
1: yeah.
0: but anyway uh love and unmatched we mm-hmm. put up a new shelf in our house with just our unmatched games on it it looks wonderful um, yep. <laughs> well, cause, uh, here's the thing is that the unmatched art is so good that it's yeah. like, I don't want to put them all in one box. Right. So, yeah, um, we were doing some like sample like insert stuff for unmatched with our 3D printer to like try to compact it all. And every time I was like, but then there's going to be a box that I won't get to look at. And they're, they're just all so beautiful. So, yeah, I'm happy with this solution. And now I don't have to keep trying to make new answers, so. Uh
1: You're happy with this solution until we get two more unmatched boxes, and then we will run out of room on not that shelf. Not true.
0: <laughs> not true. There's some other stuff on that shelf that is not unmatched.
1: Yeah, a speaker.
0: There's a speaker on one side, and there's a giant dice tower on the other side.
1: Which is acting like a bookend to keep the unmatched from but falling But we have over. bookends,
0: which are much smaller. <laughs> See? All Come right. on. All right. Don't dog me on this. Jeez, Dear Jeremy, can you be <laughs> on my side for this one? I, I have seen
2: a picture of said shelf because I actually got to play Unmatched for the first time at Tantrum Con, awesome. uh, and very much enjoyed that. And room is getting a little bit, but I think hey. you still, I still think you're okay. I still think you're okay. Listen, if
0: I got desperate, I could go horizontal. with Some of these, okay, the,
2: you I can could, stack but, them. Yeah, I've absolutely. Got room.
0: absolutely. Don't tempt me, truck.
1: That's true. That's true.
0: I could face some of these like we do on our. All right. oh, my God. <laughs> but how would,
2: would you have to rotate it because all the artwork is so good would you have to rotate sure. it every once in a while
0: sure
1: yeah i'm, I'm happy with that
0: there you go i'm totally fine with doing that
1: all right that's anyway. our that's our new solution anyway oh my gosh
0: <laughs> okay all right i'm done i'm done, I'm done. <laughs> all
1: right well before we go to our break <laughs> one more thing because jeremy's here and jeremy's a, a staff writer we're not going to give you quite the uh the courtesy we give our other guests we are still gonna do the monthly report. Uh,
0: that's so funny all right but we'll do this quickly <laughs> monthly report for january mine is depressing i have 20 plays of 11 unique games
1: okay i have um 49 plays of 20 unique games hey
0: get a job
1: I, my job is taking care of our children and playing games with them thank <laughs> you I'm jealous whatever
0: So when I looked at this before, I said, wow, out loud. And you said, save it for the podcast. And the reason why I said, wow, is because I have an H index of two. Okay. But nine of my 20 plays are those two games.
1: Wow. Yeah. See? See? Yeah, you're right. So what are the
0: two games? Uh, Five plays of Pocket Paragons. Yep. And four plays of Trio.
1: All right. Well, it's a good thing. My most played game. In January was Pocket Paragons.
0: Mm-hmm. How many times do you play
1: it? Ten plays. Yeah, yeah. To be fair, Pocket Paragons. We're gonna have the review in the break, but Pocket Paragons is a really short game, fifteen minutes at the most, usually more like three to five minutes. So it's really nice for that. Mm-hmm. But my H index is four, <sighs> so I have Pocket Paragons a bunch of times. I have Calypso again. <laughs> which I played nine times. That's hilarious. Another five-minute game. Uh, And then I also have quite a few plays of At the Helm and Trio. I still have not won At the Helm. I got desperate and started asking for advice on the Buttonshy Discord.
0: (laughs) Are you getting anything good?
1: Uh, I got some tips. And the reason why I say I'm desperate is normally as a reviewer, to give something a fair shake, I'm like, no, I need to figure this out myself so I can talk about it. I'm like, no, I'm missing something here. Help me!
2: That's the worst feeling ever when you're working on a review. Like, what am I missing?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I didn't even know how to play this game, clearly. <laughs> but, alright. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know even if I I want to break this down any more than...
1: Yeah, you know, I think just, I think that's plenty for now.
0: Plenty depressing is what you, know, you, you meant to say, right? It, fully 50% of my games were two players, 70% at home, and about 50% of my games were played on Thursdays. The yeah,
1: um, 57% of my games were two player. So, yeah. Yep. I, I feel you. There you go.
0: All right. So, we just finished talking about Pocket Paragons. We're going to take a quick break. You are going to hear about that game from Anitra me and, and Elliot. Elliot. Did yeah. the snap review for this one. That should be pretty fun. We're going to come back and we're going to talk a little bit
1: about Tantrum Con. We'll be right back.
3: I'm going to get you this time. Not if I get you first. This is a snap review for Pocket Paragons, a two-player dueling game by Brian McKay.
1: It's published by Solus Game Studio. You can play a full game in under 15 minutes, and the box says it's for ages 13 and up. We think it can go a little bit younger, though. Hi, Elliot. We'll be talking about this Origins box, which has eight original characters.
3: Speaking of characters, let's talk about the art in this game.
1: There are actually three artists on this particular set. Between them, they've brought ten unique characters to life, from Mata the Paladin to Rocher the Illusionist. And although the art styles aren't exactly the same across all the characters, the icons and the graphic design are very consistent, making it easy to move from deck to deck. So how do we play, Mom? Well, both players choose a character and take their deck. Set aside the character card and the ultimate card. The other six cards make up your hand.
3: Both players start at 10 health and 0 energy. Both players select a card to play, and then they both reveal simultaneously. First, check to see if either card counters the other. Agility counters intelligence, intelligence counters strength, and strength
1: counters agility.
3: If a card is countered, it is returned to its owner's hand. Well, usually. Then you check for damage. It's a large white number
1: here on the center of the card. Your opponent loses this much health unless they played defend or a block damage ability.
3: Once damage and any after combat effects are resolved, both players set their current card aside. It's exhausted and can't be played again until you use an ability to ready it you both choose a new card to play for the next round. You can ready all your exhausted cards
1: by playing Rest. But this can be a risky move. If your opponent plays their red Weapon card when you play Rest, they immediately execute you and win the game. But Resting also grants energy. When you have enough energy, you can use your Ultimate card. Depending on your character, This may be a card you can add to your hand and play on a future round, or it may be a passive ability that stays in play for the rest of the game.
3: As soon as someone's health reaches zero, or if they are executed, the game ends. It probably took almost as long to explain this as it does to actually play a game.
1: This Origins box introduces a longer Conquest format, where each player chooses three Paragons and then must win a match with each one. It also introduces a solo mode, for those times that you don't have an opponent to play with. So let's talk about our expectations with this game.
3: We generally enjoy dueling games here at the Family Gamers. My favorite is probably Cookie Foo. Mom, what's yours? Probably Unmatched.
1: When I first saw Pocket Paragons, the name made me think that this would be a dueling card game that was just cards so it fit in your pocket. Something kind of like Tiny Ninjas or Gruff or even like an unmatched game without a board. These are all games we've enjoyed in the past, and you can find links to our reviews in the post. My first play of the game was less than five minutes, but I was immediately hooked. You can get a lot of variety out of a tiny set
3: of cards. It's just seven per character. When you first showed it to me... I thought this was going to be, like, a 20-minute game, but it's, like, a 5-minute game. And that's one of our biggest surprises. Just how quick it is
1: to play Pocket Paragons. And how much you need to get into your opponent's head.
3: Yeah, I have to try to guess when you're going to rest so I can execute
1: you. (laughs) Or maybe just to predict what I'm going to play so you can counter it. Or defend it. It almost feels like an extended and more strategic take on rock, paper, scissors. (laughs) I was also pleasantly surprised at the solo mode. You lay out the abilities for your opponent paragon, and then you determine which one they use each turn from an AI deck, and you flip each ability face down as it's used. It's slightly more predictable than playing with a human opponent, but it still feels like the same game. I found it a really interesting way to explore all the different characters. And there's a huge variety of
3: characters here. Elliot, which one's your favorite? Sarah's the Pyromancer. Mostly because her card says, burn your enemy with massive damage and punish their healing. <laughs> I like that one too.
1: They're one of the easier characters, but there are also really interesting challenges, like Jael the Bard, who does no damage at all, but has a lot of ways to heal herself and exhaust her opponent's cards so then she can perform an execute. Or Kairos the Timebender, who rarely has to rest, but instead can keep putting cards back into his hand with careful planning. Mom, do we recommend Pocket Paragons? I think this is great if you're looking for a quick dueling game. This box here is not tiny, but it does fit in my purse. And if I really want to transport the game, I could just grab a couple of decks and put them in a baggie and then put them in my pocket. The games are intense, but really short. And you can always try a new character to keep the game from feeling stale. But there is very little luck here. You really need to try to predict your opponent's moves. So if you don't like that, then I wouldn't recommend this game. Try something like, maybe, Tiny Ninjas instead. If Pocket Paragons sounds interesting to you, check out all of the sets available at pocketparagons.com. Last time I checked, they had a free two-character set you could print at home to try it out, too. So, Elliot, what are we going to rate Pocket Paragons?
3: Four and a half abilities out of five. And that's Pocket Paragons in a, a snap. snap.
1: And we're back.
0: All right. So, I already talked about how we disrespect our guests when they are <laughs> staff writers. So, I don't think that part uh, needs a little bit of introduction. But what I will say is Jeremy has been uh, doing some reviews for us over the course of like the last, I don't know, eight months or something like that, six months, something like that. I don't, I'm not sure. Something. But J- Jeremy, would you like to share with the crowd how you found out about the Family Gamers and how we found out about you?
2: Sure. I um, uh, have my 12-year-old son to thank for that one, uh, Zach. Uh, this is the infamous Zach who's been referenced uh, on a couple of occasions here Probably on the show. you
1: have, yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah absolutely.
1: Yeah, he um,
0: likes the Guinness Book of World Records facts.
2: <laughs> yes. Uh, and he is prone to coming and letting us know uh, when it's one of the... F- the general facts that he has requested. Um So he was looking for a podcast to listen to and we had come across the family gamers and he just fell in love with it. And then probably after a couple months of listening, he's like, could I email Mr. Andrew? And so it was like, okay. So we were paying attention and had him write out an email. We proofed it and he sent it off. And that started, at least for a little while, some semi-regular correspondence, and Zach was overjoyed that you responded. And uh, probably a few months after that, you actually reached out uh, once we joined the Family Gamers group on Facebook, uh, the community, Uh, you reached out to my wife uh, about, you know, sending Zach a a shirt, which is still, for him, one of those moments of, like, oh, this is actually real. This is, you know, not some just, I'm sending an email off into the void. Like, there's something behind this, and it's one of his favorite shirts to this day still. Glad to hear it. And then when you guys said, yeah, you were going to come to Tantrum Con last year, he was overjoyed by that as well and loved getting to meet you guys in person. And that's when you and I started talking uh, in earnest about me becoming a staff writer and here we are almost exactly a year later uh, tantrum year con later. yeah tantrum con moved up a month uh, from last year but yeah almost a year since we got to actually meet in person
0: right and I'm not a wanted man by the state of North Carolina anymore so that's also good yes yes. I have a funny
2: story that reflects something that happened during Tantrum Con for you guys. There was the issue with the pool at the hotel.
0: I remember that. My kids were very upset about that. Well,
2: the hotel... Now, we didn't stay at the hotel that Tantrum Con was at, but we had made sure that there was a pool, and guess what was uh, oh, no. going on there? Oh, no. Pool was shut down the entire oh, time oh, we oh. were <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. I, I don't know what to chalk that up to, but I should not bank on pools uh, working uh, in proximity to Tantrum, <laughs> Tantrum Con, I guess.
1: Apparently. Wow.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, so Tantrum Con, of course, is the annual convention thrown by the folks over at Tantrum House. They're just an incredible group of content creators over there doing just really amazing stuff. Super nice people. Um, yeah. You know, we've had the chance to hang out with them a couple times around the Tantrum Con thing, and you know, at, at PAX and some other shows. You can usually see them helping out at, at All Player, Genius Games, or something like that. Um, just just an awesome group of people, and they uh, they work with Monica Rasso, who's also been on the show before, mm-hmm. to put together tantrum con which is a super fun show it's more of a like there is an exhibitor hall but it's Mm -hmm. more of a kind of like relax and play games kind of a convention it's closer to like a local convention size although it's getting a little bit big for that yeah but uh no it's a super laid-back show they did at least uh last year they did an incredible job with all the kids stuff and i'm Mm -hmm. sure you can talk about that um so it definitely is a family convention which i super super appreciate
2: and they actually stepped it up, actually overall stepped it up from last year to this year, but even the kids, uh, section got a big boost. They brought in a local group called lizard, uh, living rooms and lizards, uh, who does kid and teen friendly dungeons and dragons type storytelling oh, cool. and different things. And it was the first time that they had done this and my, my two youngest took to it like fish to water. Incredible experience for kids. So if you're in within travel distance of Charlotte and you've got kids, it's a great convention for that.
0: Mm. Yeah. It, it was a 12 hour drive for us, which was a little bit on the long side. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But I think, yeah. if it was six, I think we would do it again. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And we've encountered people from who've driven up from Florida, uh, who've gone there. It, it, they had people coming from the West Coast, but usually if they're doing that, they're doing something else alongside. But this year it was bigger. The Exhibitor Hall was bigger. They had Bézier Games, who was there last year, 25th Century Games, who was there last mm-hmm. year, but All Play was there and had a bunch of games set up, including Fiction. So got to see that in person, which is really cool. The demo area was much nicer for the people who were bringing like the upcoming Kickstarter projects. Mm-hmm. It was much bigger area, much more comfortable, could spread out. So got a, some pretty cool sneak peeks as well. So nice. it was a lot of fun.
0: Do you want to talk about any of those sneak peeks?
2: Yeah, and I actually got not only just a sneak peek, but I got to play a couple of games that are coming to Kickstarter. And actually, uh, one of them is part of a collection from 25th Century Games that just went live this week. Uh, they've got their 2024 import collection, uh, which is a partnership between 25th century games and international designers and other publishers to bring them to the U S. And, uh, the gentleman behind it, Chad Elkins, uh, actually had some prototypes of one of the games and he let me actually punch it out and try it. Oh, neat. Wow. Which was really cool. Uh, Chad's a great guy. I got to talk to him last year mm-hmm. at Tantrum Con passionate about what he does, but I got to try out uh, Run, 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 which was hysterical. It is a cooperative tiling dungeon crawler, and it can be played solo or cooperative one to four players, but you take on the role of cat venturers uh, exploring the a mysterious Egyptian pyramid. There lie the ancient relics of Tutankhaned. The Cursed Pharaoh. (laughs) So, yeah, it it gets pretty silly. Your meeples are cat archaeologists, and the mummies are all dogs. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Super funny. It's Even playing solo, it was super fast-paced. And one of the things that I really enjoyed is that everything was multi-use. So the tiles that you're building out the pyramid also help you in combat against the mummies. You spend tiles out of your hand to roll the dice to do damage to the mummies. So there, there's some really cool push and pull. Like, I really want to keep building this out, but I really need to kill that mummy because if, if a mummy gets into the Pharaoh's vault, the game ends. Uh, the curse is released upon the world and everyone becomes, uh, mummy dogs, I guess. <laughs> It's super cute, super funny, very much enjoyed even the limited playtime I got with that. I could see how everything worked together. But yeah, that is part of a, a a large collection of games that are coming up on Kickstarter now, along with Hamster Roll.
1: Oh, I'm so excited that Hamster Roll is finally truly actually coming to the U.S. instead of having to be some kind of weird import. Yep. Nope. The-
0: I- I'm, I'm looking at this Kickstarter right now, and this is honestly impressive Uh, i mean there's pledge levels that start as low as you know the dollar to keep myself interested Mm -hmm. run 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 is 25 bucks which comes with acrylic standees and by the way i've said this before about acrylic standees i think they look fantastic i think they are totally the Mm -hmm. way to go shame on minis take the acrylics but it goes all the way up there's a mandu collection so if you liked this little game called Jekyll versus Hyde mm-hmm. uh, that was main mm-hmm. games they have another one called Jekyll and Hyde versus the Sco- uh, Scotland Yard mm-hmm. um, which I'm super excited for and then there's hamster roll anyway there are a total of 11 games that you can get and if you just get them all it's 160 bucks
2: which it's insane
0: is like wow 15 a game yeah like that's crazy and oh estimated delivery May 2024
2: yeah i I got to talk to chad a little bit and what's interesting is a lot of it is just hey can we tweak the art a little bit Mm -hmm. let's make sure all the rule book translates well they're they're trying to keep the spirit of these games exactly as the original designers intended just updating them slightly for coming over to the u.s it's incredible and just the the amount of Energy and passion that you've got to have to be able to go and find 11 games that you want to be able to bring in, and then to bring it over in 160 bucks. It's insane, and we are better off for it.
0: Yeah, this is really cool stuff.
2: Yeah, but I I definitely, definitely recommend Run, Run, Run. It was hysterical just even looking at it, but it, it was simple. It's supposed to be able to play in 30 minutes, but cats versus dogs. Cat Indiana Jones versus Dog, Dog mummies. mummies. I, I, I was hooked as Great. soon as I saw the, the box. I'm like, I gotta play that. Mm. That that was definitely one of the highlights there. And then another one that is coming up that was uh, a very different vein. And this would be for more of the older set. They do recommend 14 plus for this. Uh it's a game called Core of Discovery, a game set in the world of Manifest Destiny from Jay Cormier, I believe who mind management the tagline and this is what sucked me in was lewis and clark and monsters it's an exploration game you're going around you're exploring the undiscovered essentially western part of the u.s looking for resources but uh you will encounter monsters that you have to kill in order to beat the level and it It was extremely fascinating to get to sit down and look at that, because rather than like flipping out tiles, it's a sheet that slides into the board that is covered, and you are selecting areas to pop the top off, and you will see what's underneath. Hmm. But the game operates on an internal logic that you know that if you find this specific resource, somewhere in that adjacent area it will be this type of resource. And you have to manage your resources, because not only are you trying to kill zombies, you have cards that you have to complete during the day. If you complete them, you're going to get bonuses. If you don't, you're going to lose resources, including water. And if you run out of water, you die. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If you are not able to secure food by the end of the day, you die. Uh, it was extremely fascinating. I very much enjoyed it and uh, very much looking forward to seeing where he goes with that. There are chapters to the game. It is a it is sort of a story game, but you don't have to play it that way. You can just pick a map and go. Mm-hmm. But it was a very inventive way, and you do get asymmetrical player powers. You can play as certain characters that'll get bonuses, and you get gear to help you out. And it's just very logical, and it gets very tense towards the end of it, where you're trying to secure kill that last monster and you're watching as your food and water supply is dwindling. And But it is very much a game that trends towards the older folk, both kind of, and you're fitting like minotaurs, but complexity level is up there as well.
1: Mm -hmm. Sure. Really cool.
2: And then another really interesting one that I found that was actually geared more towards, uh, it's an introductory level game is gems of Iridesia. It's a gem mining game. You essentially pick a spot and it's all tiles flipped over to look like they're mountains. And, and, and you just say, okay, I'm going to start here. And then you flip over two tiles and you get to pick which one you go, your miner goes to, and you're collecting gems with the intent to purchase and restore relics, but you roll dice to get bonus gems. And there's a lot going on. There's actually kind of a market game that helps determine the value of the gems and you can manipulate that so you can buy low sell high but it, it was a very cute game nothing complex too complex it introduces some basic mechanics without getting out into the weeds and that, that was just very entertaining
0: cool yeah so let's talk a little bit more about tantrum con you know you mentioned some folks that were there i know that there's you know some pretty well-known board game luminaries at shows like this. I know Daryl Andrews usually makes his way down. Yep. Um, Scott, Scott and Nicole Brady were going to go, but like their plane wouldn't take off basically. So they got kind of stuck. I know Kurt Covert from smirk and dagger games is there. Obviously you mentioned Chad Elkins and there's just a bunch of other people. A lot mm-hmm. of folks that do get like game development for the op are there. And, and you know, you can really kind of brush up against some, some pretty cool people in the industry whether they're in the content creator world or whether they're in the actual you know, game creation world. Um, so that mm-hmm. part of it is kind of neat. Uh, if anybody knows, uh, sees anything about Tantrum Con on social media, I think the big thing that people see is a table-flipping contest, which is always a riot. Yes. <laughs> uh, Kirk Hovert definitely had the masterstroke. I think his table almost hit the ceiling, but uh,
2: that was insane. <laughs> like Will Meadows was even saying, "I've never seen a table go that high." Yeah, they grabbed the legs rather than putting their hands that's under the, the table. Way to do it,
0: man! Yeah. If I ever got picked, that's what I was going to do.
2: <laughs> yeah, that was absolutely insane.
0: Yeah, see, I know Danielle Reynolds who did her story. She's been on the show as well. Yep. She goes to this thing, so there's a lot of really cool people. But you know, we've talked about like the kid stuff and and some of the mm-hmm. opportunities for demos of like upcoming kickstarters and then you mentioned an exhibitor hall like what are the kinds of things like if someone was on the fence about going to tantrum con and you were trying to talk them into going what are some of the cool things that you would mention to them about the show
2: i, I think there are three main selling points to it and i i don't know how much of this is unique to tantrum con but it's a big part of kind of the culture of tantrum con the first one is the turn meals which are an extra add-on. You do pay for that, but you get to go sit down, have a meal with other people and learn a game. And while you're there, a few other interesting things happen. One, a player at every table gets to take home a copy of that game. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that's always fun. You can potentially get a brand new game that way. And then when you go in, you're handled or handed a ticket and they're doing drawings for other games during this. So I may or may not have walked away with two games when we did, uh, ecosystem Savannah. I got a copy of Savannah plus another game. So that's, that's a blast. You're getting to learn a new game. You're getting to have fun, getting a meal, which is always important at a, a convention like this. Uh, you may not stop to eat until you absolutely need to. So there's that there's the VIP gaming area, which is interesting. That's where, content creators or board game designers can set up and teach a game. So uh, as you mentioned, Scott Brady was not able to be there, which was unfortunate because I had signed up for one of his VIP gaming slots because he was going to be bringing three new prototypes to teach. Mm. But you get that uh, Daryl Andrews was doing that as well. I didn't get to see that, but you do get to see new stuff getting taught by the designers, which is mm. a blast. And then everybody's favorite part of the board gaming convention is the play to win area. A <laughs> uh, whole stack of games get donated by publishers and designers. You get to go play them and then put your name in the book and hope that on Sunday, your name gets called for, for getting a copy of that game. I was not able, unfortunately, to get to play the hottest game that was at tantrum con. Um, but somehow someone got a copy of worm span that got played not only in the hot gaming area to get taught, but someone donated a copy of Wormspan for wow. the play to win section. Wow. So somebody got to walk, go home with a brand new copy of Wormspan at TantrumCon. Wow! So that's kind of, I mean, <laughs> that's pretty cool. Uh, uh, I got to play Star Trek Cryptic for the first time. Nice. Uh, what did you think of it? That was interesting. Uh, we did enjoy It took us a little bit to get our feet under it. Us, yeah. my son Zach and I played that, mm-hmm. but definitely uh, as someone who grew up in a household uh, watching the original Star Trek and the Next Generation, uh, it, it was it was enjoyable, very creative. Uh, the puzzles are incredibly creative, but it's just a great way to check out new games. Even if you don't win them, you might discover something that you are going to want to go to your local game store and go pick that up.
1: Mm-hmm. And conversely, I, not to sound negative about it, but going to a convention like this gives you a chance to play some of the new hot games and be like, oh, now that I've played it, this would not go over well with my family. I do not want a copy of it. And that's a that's still a really useful thing to learn.
2: Absolutely. You know, we're lucky down here to have a couple of board game stores that have extensive libraries so you can go and check out games at no cost you can just go sit down take a game off the the shelf and play it but not everybody has that luxury right and those are usually older games like you're saying this is a Mm -hmm. chance to go and see new stuff upcoming stuff that's on kickstarter and either be like okay check mark I definitely need to go back that if I can, or or wait for the release, or like you said, maybe I don't want to go and, and splurge on that route. It's it's a valuable experience, and honestly, the Tantrum House people are wonderful. Like I said, the Living Rooms and Lizards people were fantastic, but even just the other people who are there playing games, it's an incredible experience. And I, you know, most conventions are like that. You're just around people who enjoy the same thing and just want to have a good time. A game that I had considered mentioning in our roundup was I got to play pitch car for the first time. We went and rented it from the library. And that's another nice thing is the tantrum house people bring their library of games that you can just check out for free. So we were going to play that. I think it was Saturday night and somebody else comes up and they had a copy of pitch car. So we ended up combining two full sets of pitch car. Wow. And it was probably, we had to put two six foot tables side oh, yeah. to side <laughs> to contain the monstrosity yeah, that got it. created, but you're not going to get that experience anywhere else other than right. at a convention. Right. right. Yeah. So it was absolutely a blast.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. I, I also think if you get a VIP badge, you get when you register or when you, when you check in, like they give you a bag full of games too. So there's lots of opportunities to walk away from Tantrum Con with, with games.
2: Yeah, um, there's games for purchase, but yeah, you get a goodie bag when you arrive, and there's a, you know, a game or two in there. They have games specifically for kids, so if you bring kids, they're going to get kid, kid games. age-appropriate yeah. games in their bag. Yeah. So awesome. right away, first moment that they're officially there, they've already got one or two games that they're going to bring home they actually expanded it this year everybody that was registering was getting something my wife volunteered so she got a game and um media actually got uh, a game this year too oh, wow. so i didn't know that <laughs> you know we didn't get that last year uh, as media but they they made the upgrade to the new location and everything was bigger they had more of everything and like I said, there there was about 300 more people at the convention this year than there was last year. Mm. And it, it it just seems to be growing. And more right. people are getting interested. Like I said, All Play was there. and They weren't there last year.
3: Right. Mm-hmm.
2: But all the exhibitors who were there last year pretty much were there. there Bézier yeah. was there. 25th Century was there. So, like, every, there was more elbow room. Mm-hmm. Mm. Like, you could move around more freely. And a lot more to do. And... Just a great time. It was a blast.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, I uh, I wish it was closer. I really do. You know, it's... Uh, I just wish it was closer. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's absolutely. To the whole family down for something like that. I mean, but, uh, we definitely since
1: would, we're the family but... gamers, I'm going to piggyback off of what you said. And we've attended or been involved with a lot of different board game conventions at mm-hmm. this point. And I have not seen another one that is as family friendly. Like... There are really big conventions. Origins and Gen Con have a kids track, but because they're so big, it's one of those like, okay, there's a kids track, but if your kid is under twelve, you're still gonna want to be there with them the entire time because it's it's huge. And Tantrum Con is small enough that if you have a kid who's generally trustworthy, you can be like, hey. You're going to be in the kids area. You're going to do this program and I'm going to come see you later. And then you can come, you know, hang out with us and play the more quote unquote grown up games too. Yep. And, and you have that freedom to go back and forth. It yeah, really it, is a good fit for families. Yeah. They do a really
0: good job of making kids feel seen as valid board gamers in their own right not just yeah add on to the parents going to their thing right? yeah and that i think is what's so great and wonderful about it and I, I i think a big part of it is because all the people running tantrum con are people that <laughs> love to play board games and have kids that love to play board games and or you know or they want to love to play board <laughs> games or whatever you know? <laughs> right I mean, last year it was just super fun to see you know our at the time eight and 12 year olds running around with the Meadows kids, just hanging out, just having a good time.
2: Absolutely. They actually had one of the turn meals geared towards the kids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it was cheaper, so it wasn't as big of a price point as some of them were. Yeah. But it was geared completely towards them, run by the, the living rooms and lizards people. Right. And then in the Play-To-Win area, they had kids-specific games. So even in the general areas there was still stuff that was geared completely towards them to make them feel welcome as well.
0: Yeah. It's awesome. They do a great job. Yeah, They're really good. Absolutely. So yeah. Kudos to the team at tantrum house.
2: 100%.
0: So Anitra, I think, uh, I think we're getting close to the end of a show. I I Um, think
1: we, we definitely are. Yeah. (laughs) It's been a long show.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So, so let's start to talk about like, where can people find people online? Jeremy, where can people find you on the internet?
2: Well, you can find my writings at thefamilygamers.com for some reviews. Uh, You can find me on Instagram talking both barbecue and board games uh, at Jeremy Pike Backyard BBQ. Uh, Those are probably the best place to find me talking board games these days. Yeah, and then I'm writing about sports and barbecue and grilling. So that's what I get to do
0: with my days.
1: That's fun stuff. I like it.
0: Uh, Anitra, do you want to talk about where people can find The Family Gamers?
1: Sure. I will first say you could find Jeremy's stuff specifically on thefamilygamers.com slash tag slash Jeremy if you want to see everything he's done so far. But of course, you can find all kinds of other things at thefamilygamers.com as well. We've got eight years worth of podcasts. We've got 500 plus reviews. A bunch of stuff. Hopefully, by the time this comes out, I will be getting ready some stupid Valentine's Day puns, <laughs> as as I like to do. But you can also talk to us on all kinds of social media. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter and sometimes on threads and Instagram, even more rarely on TikTok, at Family Gamers AA. You can join the Facebook community and talk with us and with Jeremy. Easiest way to get there, we think, is to go to thefamilygamers.com slash community or just search around on Facebook. It's called The Family Gamers Community. It's not that hard. <laughs> uh, nope. And if you don't like Facebook, you can join the – even if you do like Facebook, I guess, you can join the Family Tabletop Community on Discord where we're there, uh, JP from Little Big Thumbs, Dr. Brian from Brains on Games, and some other friends as well. And we're talking about family games and how that works. Mm-hmm.
0: Of course, you can always email us, Andrea at thefamilygamers.com.
1: Anitra at thefamilygamers.com.
0: Check out our Family Gamers and Play Games with Your Kids merchandise. You can get t shirts and hoodies and more. We're all wearing ours. Zach
1: approved. (laughs) Zach
0: approved. Zach approved at thefamilygamers.com forward slash merch. I guess we need to come up with like a 2024 design that we put on there. So uh, I'm sure we'll mention that when we get around to it. Yeah. Hopefully not in 2025. (laughs) We'll (laughs) see. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show, tell your friends about the show, and leave us a review at Apple Podcast or whatever your podcast subscription source is. You can also find us on Amazon Music. You can find us on TuneIn. You can find us on Spotify.
1: Mostly tell your friends. That's yeah, how tell your That's friends, how Jeremy please. found out his, mm-hmm. uh, his son told him about the Family Gamer's yeah. podcast.
0: <laughs> yep. Now it we're works. all friends. It works. The Family Gamers is sponsored by First Move Financial. Go to firstmovefinancial.com slash familygamers to learn how the team at First Move Financial can help you pile up the victory points.
1: Well, it's been a lot, but it's been a great time. Thanks mm-hmm. so much for being on the show, Jeremy, and for telling us about the new things at Tantrum Con this year.
0: Thank you for having me. I
2: really
1: Renewing appreciate it.
0: jealousy of not being able to go to Tantrum Con. <laughs> <laughs> All right. No, it's been really fun. It's been really fun to have you on the team. And I'm looking forward to bothering you for more barbecue advice and uh, reviews. Yeah, and reviews. Yep. and reviews. I'm yep. I mean. uh, sorry, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> all doing. of it, all of it. Um, well, hopefully, our February of lots and lots of games will continue at least lots and lots of variety, and we will bring that to you in a couple of weeks. So, until then, everybody,
1: Ladies, play games.